Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John and then uh, also from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. Hear now the word of the Lord. Oh, I accidentally clicked on an ad. That's the problem with having the scripture pulled up on a website. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And then from Galatians. Live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh for what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. We are entering into the last Sunday, well, we're already into, well into, I guess, the last sermon of this series on worship. And what have we looked at so far? Can any of you guys remember our four S words? Story? Symbols, soundtrack, and then this morning is a set of practices. Now, anybody able to say the one sentence that puts all those four together? No, we are a people with a story represented in symbols, accompanied by a soundtrack, and lived out in a set of practices. So this is who we are as a people, and this is, I think, kind of what makes humanity humanity, that God gave us these things and made us to be these things as humans. And I think it's inevitable that we would seek these things. And if you doubt me, go and look at every other religion in the world and how they structure their worship, and their worship will look not too different than ours, right? There will be some story at the basis of it. It'll be represented in symbols. There'll be some kind of music with it usually. And there's some sort of set of practices that they do that they kind of lead out from their worship that they're supposed to do in their own lives. And so this is something I think inbuilt into us, this, this kind of fourfold part of worship and this reason why we've looked at it this way. It's also the way that our tradition, the reform tradition, really sets up its worship service every single week. So if you don't notice, our whole worship service is around the story or as the reformed way of putting it would be around the word of God. 
And we look at ourselves as coming and preparing ourselves to hear the word of God. So we're gathering under the word. And then in our worship service, we proclaim the word. So it's usually we have scripture read, we have a sermon spoken or a children's message, all these things proclaiming the word. And then after that, we respond to the word. Typically in a lot of uh, tradition in our past would have been with the offering and with the affirmation of faith. Sometimes we seal the word, a special thing with, with sacraments. So after uh, I preach on one, the first Sunday of most months. We have communion, and that's a sealing of the word. And then at the end of the service, at the very end of the service, what do Mike and I stand up here and do? We do the charge and the benediction. It's being sent in the word, right? And it's this last part, being sent in the word, that this morning we are kind of looking at the set of practices that we are called to, which continues our worship beyond just this place together on Sunday mornings. Because we have of an inbuilt knowledge that, that worship is more than just what we do here on Sunday mornings, that it encompasses much more of our lives than coming and singing a few songs, listening to a few prayers, and hearing me preach. There's more to it than that. And so the session in the congregation, as we kind of discern that section of what God's saying to us and how we are worshiping God, we were listening and hearing that worship has more in more impact on the rest of our lives than we like to acknowledge. We intend to think of worship as just Sunday mornings, but it's more than that, right? And we have an inbuilt sense, I think, that we want more than just Sunday mornings. And so this, this idea that you're being sent out, that you are to be doing kind of a set of practices on your own is, is encapsulating that. But I want to look a little bit this morning and talk about the idea that the set of practices just done for the set of practices is not true worship, right? Because who was really, really good at doing sets of practices in Jesus' day and yet Jesus chastised them for it? The Pharisees, right? What did he call them, in fact? What did he call them? Whitewashed tombs, I think somebody said it out there. Uh, also, he called them a brood of vipers, right? And so Jesus criticized the Pharisees. Now, Jesus was probably closest to the Pharisees of any other group out there. And yet, Jesus criticized them deeply because of their hypocrisy. Now, there was no one on the outside who looked better than the Pharisees. No one who did more and disciplined themselves more than the Pharisees. And yet, there was something still wrong. And so I think that as we consider this idea of a set of practices that we are to do out here, what I think we should really look at is we should really look at kind of the heart first. And so I think that true worship, true worship first transforms us from the inside and then out, from the inside out. When we truly seek God, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout our whole week, we seek to encounter God and we have experiences with God, our heart is set on fire by his spirit and we are transformed into a new person, a new being in him and we begin to reflect and look like what he looks like and what his heart is for this world. And so true worship really goes within. And this is not just a New Testament idea. This is an Old Testament idea. Look at this in Hosea. God is chastening, chastening his people. He is criticizing them for doing a whole bunch of set of practices, but for their heart not being in it. This is what he says. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Now he's not talking about sacrifices and like what Jesus did on the cross. He sacrificed him, right? He's talking about bringing 
animals to the temple and just having a priest kill it. And there, I've, I've fulfilled my obligation. I've done what's right on the outside. He's saying, no, I want steadfast love, something that emanates and, and comes from within and pours out of you. I, I want knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He wants you to truly know who God is. Now, knowledge is, do you think that the term here in Hosea that he's talking about is some kind of intellectual knowledge of God? What do you think? What kind of knowledge is it? Relationship knowledge, right? Kind of like I know friends of mine, right? Or I know my wife or I know my kids. I know them not just intellectually. I don't just have some kind of set of ideas about them. I know them because of my relationship with them. I know them kind of inside and out. I can, I can read their mind almost because I've spent so much time with them. This is the kind of knowledge that God is asking for. He wants you to get to know him. And not just offer burnt sacrifices or do your 15-minute daily devotion or whatever it looks like in your life. He wants a heart that loves him. Jesus says this in Matthew 15. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and then goes out into the sewer? That's kind of some funny humor by Jesus, by the way. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what is unwashed with hands does not defile. Right? So he's addressing this idea that, that if you just stay away from eating these things, you can be clean. And he's saying, no, your heart is what matters. Now, there might be some significance to what you eat. Fine. Right? If you eat too much and you get fat, is that glorifying to God? Probably not. So I should probably stop. But what is going on in your heart? That's what matters. Are you truly, genuinely loving God? Is your heart the source of good in your life, or is it the source of evil? Look deep down, and what is at the root of your life? Paul says it this way, and I want, you know, I want to point out here that Jesus uses the word heart because in the Jewish idea, in the Jewish sense, the center of the being, the, the entire thought and intellect and, and emotion and passion and everything that was your will and your person came from this area, right? Which is your heart. But for a lot of Greeks who Paul is writing to, and we kind of get it from them as well, what is the center and the driving force of us? The mind, right? And so here's what Paul says in Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, when he's saying that, he's not saying a set of intellectual assumptions to which you agree with. He's talking about the center of your being and your will, okay? So the way that you act out of, the font out of which you are, in, is his mind, or as he's speaking to the Greeks, is the mind. For Jesus, it was the heart because he was speaking to the Jews. And so both are saying the same thing. Unless you're transformed on the inside, 
What's on the outside won't matter. Unless you're transformed on the inside, what you do on the outside will just simply be a set of selfish actions. How many of you have ever heard some kind of presentation of the gospel like this? Because of your sins, you're going to go to hell. And Jesus saves you from your sins, and so now you can go to heaven. Do you think that presents a selfish or a selfless motive? A selfish motive. And so if your understanding of the gospel, if your understanding of Christianity has been a get-out-of-hell free card, you've been missing it. Your heart hasn't yet been transformed to really enjoy God as your primary source of life. You're still thinking something else is, and this whole sin thing has gotten in the way, and if I just agree to believe in Jesus, then I can go about doing whatever I want. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has been made Lord again over all creation. And so humanity is free again in a faith relationship to enjoy and trust and follow God. Put your trust, that's what they mean when they say the word faith, put your trust, your whole life in God. I think that true worship transform, not just transform, but leads us to a spirit-led life. Leads us to a spirit-led life. Get rid of the word transforms there. I forgot to delete it. True worship leads us to a spirit-led life. This is what Jesus says at the beginning of our passage today. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Paul says it this way, live by the Spirit. And then later in the passage, he says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is, right? So if the Spirit is leading you, the fruit that will come out of that will be love, joy. Come on, you guys have these memorized? Good. I'll just pretend like I heard them all. Jesus, just one chapter later, John 15, uses an illustration that kind of give you an idea about what this means. And his illustration is of a vine. How many of you have ever tried to cultivate any kind of vine before? All right. It's hard work, right? What do you have to do to cultivate a vine? You have to give it a lot of attention. You have to make sure that the right nutrients are going to the right branches in order to produce fruit, which means that you have to spend a lot of time pruning branches that don't produce fruit, right? So that they won't steal nutrients that could go to the branch that does produce fruit. And so a vine dresser, somebody who keeps vines and makes them more productive, spends tremendous amounts of time pruning, pruning and making sure that this vine is putting all of its energies towards that which is going to produce the most fruit. And Jesus says that his father is the great vine dresser, and he's going to prune, he's going to cut off branches from your life that sap away energy from the true fruit he wants you to produce. The fruit that we hear from Paul is of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And so, in our lives, we oftentimes get mad at God. We're like, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Oftentimes, this is code words for, why didn't you Give me what I wanted, right? And yet what you wanted might have been something that would have sapped energy from a branch that could have produced true fruit, fruit of the Spirit. 
And so he doesn't let you have it. He prunes it. He cuts it from your life. Now, notice, what is the producer of the fruit? The vine gives the sap, the nutrients from the ground that is necessary, right, for the fruit to be produced. And so he says, if you're connected to the vine and you abide in me, I am the vine, then I will give you what you need, the spirit, for you to produce the fruit. He says it another way for those who didn't grow fruit a few chapters back in John 10. He's talking now to the people who uh, aren't vine dressers, but who do the other thing that most people lived by back then, which is to raise animals. And mostly in the area, it was sheep. And so Jesus talks about sheep and he talks about himself being the shepherd of the sheep and that the sheep know his voice and will listen to him. Who is his voice in today's church? I've already said it like five times. Come on, you guys. The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is his voice. And so Jesus is telling over and over and over again that if you are to truly worship me, if you are to truly be a part of me, then you will hear my voice. You will be led by my spirit and you will produce the fruit that is of me and not the world's fruit. And so true worship, I think, leads us to be led by the Holy Spirit. I think true worship leads us to action. True worship leads us to action. This is something that is a frustration for a lot of pastors because we come in here, we sing a bunch of songs, we listen to the sermon, preach a bunch of words, and then we leave from here and is anything changed about us? Too often, if I were to examine my own heart, not much. And if I were to look around sometimes at some of the churches I'm, I've served in the past, I'm not going to point any out, but I've noticed that sometimes there's a little bit of bickering and backbiting that goes on, right? A sermon might have been preached on Sunday about forgiveness, about grace, about mercy, and yet when we leave this place, we just, right? Okay, you can put that on YouTube now, Noah. <laughs> so, does true worship in our space, lead us out of here to act on that which God is calling us. Now, notice what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many of you in here would say that you love Jesus? How many of you in here would say that you keep his commandments? Okay, a couple of you. Some of you I agree with. No, I'm not going to judge your hearts. I can only judge my heart. I put my hand down. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says this more than just here in John 14. Okay? He says in Matthew 28, right? He says, go and make disciples, teaching them, come on, to obey all that I have commanded you. So he is talking about action. And he's actually commanding us something, an action, right? And so we as Protestants tend to think that the Christian religion is all just about faith. And we tend to place that in the, in the realm of an intellectual idea that we agree with. And then we say, that's enough. That's all you need. And yet scripture over and over, including Paul, says that true faith, true trust in God will lead towards you doing something. Faith never sits stagnant. 
If you trust God, you will begin to look like God and act like God. So we're called to action. This is what Micah says. This is before the New Testament. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to, you guys, come on, read it with me, do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do those sound like passive things? Active things, right? Commandments. Things which you are called, a set of practices which you are called to do and to be. Now, this morning, we just commissioned, uh, how many are on the team? 12? 13? 13? We just commissioned 13 of our members to go and do something, right? Now, the rest of us aren't always able to go to Peru. But we help to support them. We help with our money. We help with our prayers. We help with encouragement. We listen to the stories. We pray for them, right? And so all of these things are a part of us joining them. And on our behalf, they're going and being God's hands and feet for our congregation in Peru. But we believe that there should be more for you than that. And so that's why our church has decided to every other year do a local mission trip. So that each and every one of you can get involved and our, each and every one of you can have hands-on involvement in some kind of mission activity here. Last year we went and we helped out at Second Mile and we had nearly 70 people throughout the week come and support and help that mission. What an amazing number because oftentimes in here we don't have too many more than 70, which means a lot of you active folks came down and supported and helped that week to love those kids in God's name. This is what God is calling us to do with our, with our actions. If we leave here today and we just think about, well, what's next on my docket for the day? What's next for me to accomplish just to lead my life the way I normally leave it? Then we've missed something, I think. Because God is calling you more deeply into a relationship with him, which means that when you leave here, there's something for you to do. Whether it's spend time in prayer, carve that time out that you can spend time in prayer seeking God daily. Whether it's time for you to sit and read the scriptures so that your heart might be filled with the story of God so that you would be transformed and become a part of that story, or whether it's to go and serve at a local homeless shelter, whether it's to go tutor at a local campus, whatever it is, God is calling you this week to do something. And if you leave here this morning thinking, I've done enough, I went to church, you've missed it. You've missed it. What is God calling you to do this morning? What is God calling us to do? Well, I can tell you something God's calling all of us to do because Jesus says it. Those who come after me will take up their cross and they will follow me. That means that no matter what else you do this week, you are called to exhibit the kind of selfless love that Jesus exhibited on the cross. That means that when your coworker is busy trying to take credit for something that you did and your idea, will you fight back in retribution and, and tell the boss how dumb they are and how they're trying to take your job? Or will you love them 
and selflessness and let them take the credit, whether it helps you or not? Will you yell at your neighbor for not mowing their lawn for yet another time? By by the way, I'm the neighbor not mowing their lawn. Or will you ask your neighbor if they're so busy that they, they need some help around the house because you got some extra time and you're more than willing to serve them? Not a condescending way, not a jerky way. Your lawn's so long, can I come over there and mow it for you? No. You know, I notice you guys have a young family. You're really busy. Is there a way I can help you? What will you do this week to take up your cross, to live a life that exhibits the same kind of actions of Jesus, the same kind of selfless love of Jesus, so that in your practices, people will see not you, but will see Jesus and will glorify him because of you. Amen. Wonderful hymn. Will those just be words this week? Just something you sung on Sunday that mean nothing to you? Or will you go and love Jesus not just in word, but also in deed this week? Will you go and practice the very things that Jesus did in this world so that people might see him through your witness and they might come to love him too? Go. Go. And be God's song, God's story. Go and be God's symbol. Go and be God's practice in this world.